I know many of you have been really looking forward to this weekend, and you've already had an outstanding time. How many of you already had a good weekend? Everybody had a good weekend? Say, oh yeah. All right. And I know why. It's because April finally had her calf, right? Right? You guys know about this. Uh, uh, Who's the little guy there? Ollie, right? Some of you have been following this. I mean, you've been following this closer than you have followed anything ever in your life. And who knew that the, the birthing process of a giraffe could captivate the world the way that it has? People have been on pins and needles waiting and waiting. And when would April the giraffe finally have her calf? And, and when would Ollie arrive? And, and then yesterday, the big moment happened. It was so big, CNN sent out a, um, an alert. I got it on my phone. I did. I got an alert on my phone, you know. I, I'm thinking, you know, something's happened in Syria. There's been something huge that's gone on here within our country. Oh, no. Giraffe gave birth. Oh, great. Woo! And and then I go on social media, and I know some of you, I I saw your post. It was like, praise God! And you're thinking, yes, it's Easter weekend. It was, no, Ollie's been born. And you guys were all excited, and you were putting all this stuff up, and wow. So I know you've had a good weekend already, and I hope that our time together, hopefully, is is, uh, adding adding to that in, in some way. The supper's over. The supper's over and Jesus turns and begins his final ascent into the garden. And when he gets there, he begins to pray. You can see part of it that's there on on the screen. He knows that it's not going to be long until his closest friends, those whom he has poured his life into over the last three years, will desert him. He knows he's only minutes from their betrayal, but he doesn't accuse, he doesn't, he doesn't lecture, he doesn't all of a sudden line them all up and say, let me just tell you how I'm disappointed in what's about to happen. Instead, with his last moments, he spends it in prayer. And the words that he speaks echo throughout eternity. I want you to imagine for a moment how you spend those last moments when you know that time is short, when you're about to send your son off to basic training, when you are dropping off that daughter at college for the first time, what's it like when you have those last moments with maybe a, a spouse who is, who is dying? Maybe it's the last visit with your parents Something that you want to say, something that you want to do. What words do you choose? What actions? Do you throw some kind of party? Do you just go over the top? Well, can I encourage you to follow in the footsteps of your Savior? And when you face those moments that you think, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, would you stop and choose prayer? But I want you to notice something special about his prayer. I want you to see who he's praying for. What I have listed here on the screen is an excerpt from John chapter 17. And here as Jesus is praying, he turns his thoughts and his attention to to a group that's not in the garden. And he's thinking about you and he's thinking about me. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but notice it also for all who ever believe in me through their message. May they experience such perfect unity 
that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much, as much as you love me. See, over the last 10 weeks or so, we as a congregation have been, have been walking through a section of Scripture. It was a section that was written by the Apostle Paul. You can find it in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the section that's often known as the love chapter. Where Paul just begins to say, this is what love is. And he goes through all of these different ideas. Love is patient and love is kind. He talks about how that love does not boast and how love doesn't keep any record of wrongs. And he's doing this so that we might understand how we are supposed to live. But I think we only truly grasp it. We only start to put that patience and that kindness into practice. We only start to get rid of our record of wrongs when we ourselves have experienced that very love from God. And so Jesus says, I want the world to know that you have sent me, and I want the world to know that you love them just as much as you love me. You need to hear that this morning. You need to hear that you are loved by God just as much as God loves Jesus. Did you know that? Did you think that there was some kind of tier system? And, and that up here is Jesus and that, that you're down here and you understand love encompasses the whole thing, but surely God loves Jesus more than he loves you. Uh-uh. It's not that way. Jesus says, I want, I want more than anything for the world to know that you love them just as much as you love me. He says, that's my prayer. And maybe what you need to do this morning is just go ahead and take a highlighter, you need to take a pen, pencil, something, and you need to mark this particular passage in your Bible. You need to hold your finger down there on your phone and highlight it and make sure that it's saved and remembered. Because I want you to notice what he says in verse 24 of chapter 17. He says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. You see, that's love. L love isn't just something that you, that you feel from a distance. Love is something that you express up close and personal. Love is something that you desire to be able to share. Love is something you desire to be able to pass down and to, to hand down from one generation to the other. That's why so many of you, you put in a phone call to family or friends and said, would you join me for Easter worship this morning? It's because of the love that you want to be able to share face to face and heart to heart. You know what that feels like. You know what it means. And so Jesus says, listen, I want the world to know, Lord, I want the, the world to know that you love them just as much as you love me. And I want those whom you have given me to be where I am going to be. You see, that's you. As Jesus stepped into the garden, he goes there and he is praying for us. As he looks up into heaven and he sees the stars, he sees our face in that vision. As Jesus dreamed of the day when, when we would be where he was, he thought about each and every individual, each and every one, all of you that are here, because his final prayer was about you. His final pain was for you. And his final passion was for you. And so he turns and he steps into the garden. He invites Peter, James, and John to, to go along with him. 
He tells him that his soul is overwhelmed to sorrow to the point of death, and he begins again to, to pray. He's never felt so lonely before. He's never experienced this type of, of sadness and pain, because what is going to have to be done, only he can do. There wasn't an angel in heaven that could satisfy. There wasn't a man on earth who had the purity. No one could be able to destroy the claim that sin had on the creation. No force on earth could face the force of evil and win except for God. Jesus would look at those whom he loved and he would say, you know what, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Perhaps he was referring to himself as well. His humanity begged to be delivered from what his divinity could see. Jesus the carpenter implores. Jesus the man peers just across the way into the darkness of his own grave. And there he begs, can't there be another way? I don't know if he knew the answer before he asked the question. Perhaps his human heart hoped that his heavenly father had found another way. We don't know. But we do know that that he asked to get out. We do know that he begged for an exit. We know that, that if there was time, that he would have turned his back and the whole mess would have gone away. But he couldn't. See, and that's the whole paradox of the situation. He couldn't, and I think the reason is because of what we've been learning about this idea of love. He couldn't turn away. He couldn't walk out. He couldn't forget about us. He couldn't go in a different direction. Because as Scripture says, love endures all things. Love endures all things. And there's a cool word that Paul used here that we translate into our language as endures. It's a word that's hupomane. And uh, it means the ability to stay under pressure. And I got to admit, as I was typing this out last night and I wrote, stay under pressure, I started going, doom, 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 Now, some of you are going, why is he singing Ice Ice Baby? And long before Ice Ice Baby, there was under pressure, boom, 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 boom. If you don't believe me, just Google Queen David Bowie, you'll, I promise you'll find it. Hupamane, the ability to stay under pressure. We don't understand this word because we do everything we can to get away from pressure. We don't like the pressure. Pressure that's found at work, pressure at home, pressure at school, pressure within church. We do everything that we can to escape the feeling. But not Jesus. Love stays even when it's under pressure. At any point, he could have said, I quit. I've had enough. And we say, well, why didn't he? What kept him going on? It's hupomane, the ability to stay under pressure is something that Lee ILP understands. He's a retired firefighter in New York City. He gave 26 years to the force, but on September 11th, 2001, he gave even more. You see, his son, Jonathan, was also a firefighter on that day. And when the Twin Towers fell, he was there. And firefighters, they are a loyal clan, and so when one perishes in the line of duty, the body is left where it is until another firefighter who knows that person can come and quite literally 
pick it up and carry the body away. Lee made the discovery of his son's body his personal mission. He dug daily with other fathers, with other firefighters in that 16-acre graveyard. And on Tuesday, December the 11th, three months after the disaster, his son was found. And there Lee was to carry him away. He didn't give up. The father didn't quit. He refused to turn and leave because his love for his son was greater than the pain of the search. Love is something that you express face to face and heart to heart. Can't the same be said about Christ? Why he didn't quit? Because the love for his children was greater than the pain of the journey? He had come to pull us out. Our world had collapsed. Everything around us, you understand, the pressure just keeps building and building and building. And Jesus comes to pull us out and to be able to share the very love that God has for him. He comes to share it with you and he comes to share it with me. Because love endures all things. He couldn't quit because he saw you. Right there in the middle of a world which isn't fair, He saw you. He saw you cast into a river of life that you did not request. He saw you betrayed by those that you love. He saw you with a body that gets sick and a heart that gets weak. He saw you in your own garden of gnarled trees and sleeping friends. He saw you staring into the pit of your own failures, understanding that your own grave is approaching. He saw you in your own garden of Gethsemane, and he didn't want you to be alone. He wanted you to know, I've been there too, and I've experienced it. I know what it's like to be plotted against. I know what it's like to be confused. I know what it's like to be torn between two desires. I know what it's like to smell the stench of Satan's temptation. And perhaps more than anything else, I know what it is to beg God to change his mind. And then hear him gently but firmly say, my grace is sufficient for you. Love endures all things. And so at some moment during the midnight hour, an angel of mercy comes over the weary body of the man that's laid out praying in the garden. He stands, but there is no longer anguish on his face. His his fists are not clenched with rage. His heart no longer has the fight. The battle has already been won. I don't know, maybe depending on your understanding of Christianity, you always thought that the battle was fought at Calvary. The battle took place on the cross, but it wasn't. The final battle, I believe, was won in the garden because there was the sign of the conquest of Jesus. There he was at peace amidst the olive trees, for it was in the garden that he made his decision. He would rather go through hell for you then go to heaven without you. And so Hebrews 12 and verse 2 says, because of the joy awaiting him, he hupomoneed he, he the cross, disregarding the shame. And now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. It says the joy that was waiting him. You understand that that joy was you? 
Do you get it that the joy was you and your children and your family? The joy was your husband and the joy was your wife. The joy was your parents. The joy was anyone who would come to that saving faith in Jesus Christ. The joy of knowing that he would not walk out of the tomb alone. That he would not return to his father empty-handed. Because of the joy that was awaiting him. So you were on his mind in the garden. And you were on his heart in the cross. And you were beside him as he walked out of the tomb. And so when you hear something like this, the natural question should then be, well, what is my response? And I think we get the answer here from this very same passage, Hebrews chapter 12. Why don't we just strip off every weight that slows us down? Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with hupamone, the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Think of all the hostility that he hupamoneed from this sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up under all the pressure. See, I like to think that as the Apostle Paul was concluding his definition of love and 1 Corinthians 13, that he thought of the day that God's love displayed its ultimate hupomone when he finally wrote, love never fails. I mean, isn't that the message of the tomb? Isn't that what we come together today to celebrate? That on that day when His disciples thought all had been lost on that day when those who hated him the most thought that victory had been secured. On that day when Satan felt that finally the world and the creation and all that God had ever made was in his grasp. That love walked out of the tomb and declared once and for all, love never fails. Never Paul uses a word for fail that is used elsewhere. It's used elsewhere to describe what takes place in the, in the life cycle of a simple flower as it falls to its demise, as it begins to decay. Something that we've all seen before. Isn't it funny how that when we love someone, we go and we give them something that's only going to die? Yeah, we do. We spend all this money on going and purchasing the perfect bouquet, just that perfect flower, to give it to the person that we think that we love forever and ever. And we say, I love you just like this. Knowing that one day, No matter how much the beloved takes care of the flower, it will go through its natural life cycle and it will wither and it will die. Or in Paul's words, it will fail. And so he writes, when God, when God wanted to show his love for mankind, he didn't give a flower. He gave his son so that we would know that love never falls. Love never dies. 
Love endures forever. Love never fails. This morning when you leave this room, you're going to be given a flower. It's to be a reminder to you. Take it home and and put it in a vase. If you've got one of those cute little buggy cars, just go ahead and clip it and, and set it right there by your steering wheel. Put it in your office. And I want you to do something really strange with it. I just want you to leave this flower in full view and just let it die. And each day, as you watch the petals fall, as you watch it become limp, as you watch it begin to dry out, you close your eyes and you thank God that His love never fails. That's why you're here today to be reminded because when Jesus walked out of the tomb he declared once and for all the love of God maybe you need to come this morning coming to God coming to Jesus experiencing the love for the first time maybe somebody's been studying with you talking to you about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what he continues to do in the life of his followers Maybe you'd like to be baptized into Christ this morning for the remission of your sins because you have come to a point of faith that you say, I believe that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. We always welcome you to do that. Why not on a day that is a reminder of the very love of God? Maybe you just need to come because you've been reminded today just how in love God is with you. And that love has broken you this morning. And you're a disciple and you're a follower, but you're not someone who is bathed in that love. You're not someone who has allowed that love of God to truly cover you. Instead, to be honest, you've run from that love. Maybe you need to run to it today. We're going to sing a couple of songs together. One's going to start out and it's going to be kind of slow. And then, and then we're going to end in a crescendo. And if any time during those songs, if there's anything that you need to get off your heart, if there's any prayer that you would like to have prayed, if there was any faith that you would like to declare, we encourage you to come forward. Let it be known as together we stand and sing.